All our listeners face the known unknown of how long the global COVID downturn will last. How many airlines will eventually fail? And basically, how many will put back their aircraft? From our remote offices in the New York tri-state area, welcome to No More, Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. This podcast offers conversations with our analysts to get their perspective and expertise on the global credit markets. If you're an investment professional that touches the wide universe of fixed income, you will want to give us a listen. We are living a surreal life right now, but our team of nearly 100 analysts continues to publish content to our more than 15,000 readers across global credit markets. I'm Christopher Snow, the moderator, and I'm here with Roger King, our senior airlines analyst. Hi, Roger. Welcome. Hey, Chris. It's always good to talk airplanes. That's great. Well, it's uh, it's been a busy a busy couple of weeks and, and obviously quite busy since the COVID crisis came upon us. Can we just check in on the sector dynamics? You know, for many of us, travel is far from the center of our attention, but we're now seeing more than half a million flyers a day. You, you talked about a summer rebound, which looks quite nice sequentially, but of course, the, uh, the industry was literally decimated at some point on a year-over-year basis. So where are we vis-a-vis the capacity reductions and load factors? Actually, the TSA daily passenger car just hit 600,000 yesterday, up from 100,000 in the middle of April. Very encouraging sign, except in the perspective of 2.7 million passengers last year. So we're still down 78%. The federal bailout program required every airline to maintain its network, although at minimal levels. So you can fly everywhere as before, just that the schedules can be very inconvenient. For perspective from the airline standpoint, Americans' capacity dropped 70% with April load factor of only 15%. Its early June capacity was still down 70 but load factors have risen to 62%. Now, heading into July, American races capacity down 45 and anecdotally seems to be getting much more aggressive on attractive fares. As all the airlines begin to ramp up capacity for the expected summer rebound, now is a good time for everyone to investigate the historically low tickets. You can always roll them for an extended period, essentially making them a cheap travel option. I think, Roger, more broadly, the travel and hospitality sectors have been uh, kind of the corporate patient zero during this COVID-19 crisis. And the topic number one, you know, we've had Jim Dunn on a couple of weeks ago, has been the topic of liquidity. What does the industry need to see in regards to capacities and load factors in order to get to free cash flow neutral? And when do you think that happens? Well, every airline handles its cost structures differently in terms of fleet management, labor furloughs, and capacity drawdowns. So it's kind of hard to generalize across the industry. We will see different labor strategies after the salary support program expires in the end of September, with United signaling that it will be the most draconian in headcount reductions. But the key to airlines is a full airplane, since the marginal cost for passengers is so low. That's why we would see low fares driving high load factors, especially this fall. Americans said that with its increased capacity, it expects to be cash flow neutral by November. And I think that sets the clock in terms of burn rates and liquidity horizons. You've done a lot of work modeling out these liquidity runways. Who's best positioned uh, and who's the outlier on the danger side? Well, with this big liquidity hoard driven by a full suite of equity raise, convert and bond issuance, new term loans, and aircraft sale leasebacks, Southwest is in the best liquidity shape. We developed liquidity stress tests for Delta, United, and American, first looking at a one-year horizon and then a more difficult two-year horizon. Assuming the government bailout loans are fully drawn, the tests show Delta and United making it through the two-year scenario with liquidity to spare, while higher-cost American comes up $3 billion short. With its recent issuance, though, American comes close to liquidity break-even. Now, our two-year scenario had no recovery in 2020, followed by a ramp-up to full 2019 recovery by the end of 2021. 
So since there is actually a small recovery this year, but full recovery next year is probably seems a bit aggressive, we, we will add a three-year down cycle to the models. The bottom line is Delta and United make it through a two-year cycle with American having to squeeze through a tight liquidity corridor. By the way, these models are available upon request through Ask an Analyst. Thanks, Roger. That's available to our subscribers through our website in a feature where you can ask the analyst and send over questions. We've had some headlines across the space. You know, Boeing CEO David Calhoun notably said that he expects a major U.S. airline bankruptcy. Roger, where do you shake out on that? Well, I think he spoke a tad too rashly. After all, Boeing has its own liquidity problems, and everybody assumed that he was talking about American. Now, if I was Airbus, I would have called up the American CEO, Doug Parker, and made him a deal he could not have refused to swap out of his Boeing order book. After all, American can start canceling its max orders since many of the deliveries are over one year late. Yeah, I think the credit markets echoed that thesis that American was the one that's in the most challenged uh, situation. You know, they've been in the market this week with some creative financing, sort of hitting for the cycle, having tapped uh, the equity in the convert market and looking to source other types of financing. You know, this is akin to some of the stuff that we've seen in leisure with this combo across different security types. American also took down the largest piece of the government bailout. You know, what are your thoughts on American generally? And then, you know, how that deal is progressing this week? Well, Americans two bonds dropped like rocks in the 30s back in, in March and April. When terms and size of the government bailout were announced, we went to a speculative buy on Delta and a hold on American. The hold signifying that it, that it now had the liquidity to at least look into a 2021 recovery scenario. Being highly levered with secured debt, American did not have much in the way of unencumbered assets to quickly monetize through term loans. In fact, the Treasury is looking to the mileage program for its collateral on its secured loan. So American finally got back into the liquidity game with a successful equity and convert offering yesterday, but it is foundering on a peri bond and term loan secured by a hodgepodge of second-rate alternative assets, certainly a big discount to what backs the Delta 7s. If that doesn't get done, American will have to go back to its mileage program for some more debt issuance, maybe structuring a clever deal like United did. Yeah, you, you mentioned that United deal, which is also in the market this week and is quite interesting. You know, it reminds me of in a global financial crisis when Ford you know, went through the process of pledging its oval to assist in its liquidity. Could you talk a little bit more about that United deal? Yeah, actually, I think it's a very innovative deal. They basically put their uh, IP for their Mileage Plus program into a special sub and included in the sub all the cash flows that accrue for the mileage purchase of tickets. So the bonds are issued by the IP sub, and they're also guaranteed by all the uh, cash flow from the credit cards and from United itself. The deal is structured so that the Mileage Plus Holdings is actually the uh, clearinghouse for all mileage of the airline, including the loyalty program at, at United. So your bonds have a first lien on the cash flows through the mileage program even before the tickets get purchased for, from United. So I think it's a very well buttoned up situation for bondholders. Yeah. And I think that as companies are going through the process of, of trying to survive and they go through and sort of you know, proverbially go through the couch cushions to find other sources of potential collateral that they can source funding from, it's a double-edged sword. Obviously, the ability to survive and, and find the liquidity to do so is paramount. But once you've utilized it, it limits some of the flexibility going forward. We've seen some of that stuff in the cruise sector, and it's an important distinction between where Carnival's position and Royal Caribbean is positioned. Roger, let's turn to the aircraft lessers, another corner of, of the sector that you look at. They currently have some of the widest spreads in investment grade. Uh, they're hanging out in the neighborhood of energy and, and leisure names. You know, you've remained largely constructive. 
Uh, but do you see any potential fallen angel candidates? Well, all the lessers face the known unknown of how long the global COVID downturn will last, how many airlines will eventually fail, and basically how many will put back their aircraft. The larger lessers are exposed to over 100 airlines each, many of them the same names across all the lessors. Most of these are small airlines with unknown support, and the exposures themselves, though, are very small, but a lot of big numbers might apply here. So in that sense, all the independent lessers not supported by major financial institutions such as Chinese banks are downgrade candidates. However, Aircap, Airlease, and Avalon have sufficient liquidity to outlast their short-term maturities, CapEx requirements, and customer accommodation for this year and going into the next. Our Aircap liquidity model shows it can get through a pretty deep cycle and still maintain triple B financial metrics. We have outperforms on Aircap and Airlease and market performs on BOC Aviation and CDB Aviation, the later two based on pricing. But I have to stress we are still in the earning innings here but more and more countries begin to support their airlines. You know, this aircraft leasing, uh, it's meant to be a, obviously financing support for, for the airline sector. And you know, the way it's set up, it's supposed to isolate to some degree those operating risks from the assets themselves as a way to get a more efficient financing package, you know, whether it's through master lease structures, collateralization, et cetera. You know, we've seen similar structures or not totally different structures in the leisure space, whether the, the gambling industries uh, on sale leasebacks for the casinos, you have it in, in energy MLPs. And all of these have had some investor questions about the sustainability of these financing models. And that's due to the degree of stress that the tenants or lessees are facing in this current crisis. You know, if you turn that to the aircraft leasing, are you nervous? Well, I'm always nervous. There are always too many variables and not enough equations. The whole leasing concept is predicted on extracting aircraft from a troubled airline or a troubled region and quickly placing them somewhere else in the world. Now, that worked fine when annual global growth in traffic demand was growing on a straight line of 5% right up until February. So now every airline in every region is down for the count, and it becomes a liquidity game for both airlines and lessors. There are three main aircraft financial models that we look at. Operating lessers with wide diversification, ABS structures leading to a smaller variety of airlines, and EETC financing aircraft at just one airline, typically in the United States. The major operating lessers have liquidity and will outlast the cycle and will come out with much greater market share. ABS has no liquidity, and most of the deals will probably end up in rapid amortization mode, suffering from revenue losses. The ABS market itself is actually most likely dead. If it ever comes back, the reincarnation will have to be significantly more transparent. Finally, the EETC structure also lacks liquidity, as we've seen with LATAM, but luckily most of the deals are at surviving U.S. airlines. You know, many of these situations we tend to favor being closer to the assets. While there's obviously a price where anything's attractive, you know, do you prefer being in the airlines themselves or in the airplanes? Well, I prefer the airplane. And as the surviving airlines become increasingly debt-laden, aircraft leasing will increase its 50% aircraft market share. Already, airlines that normally own planes are turning to leasing. Southwest, Delta, United, Cathay Pacific have all done huge sale leasebacks for liquidity just in the last month. The Lufthansa CEO recently stated that all liquidity will be focused on paying down its new government debt, leaving the entire 500 aircraft fleet and its 200 orders wide open for sale leaseback opportunities. Now, just imagine that, Lufthansa, one of the storied names of commercial aviation whose bonds are still trading in the low signal digits. It's a wild time that we're in. Well, thanks, Roger. I'd like to finish up with a personal question, and that's, when do you see yourself getting on an airplane? Oh, if the international borders ever open up, I'll fly to Canada this summer and Europe next. 
Yeah, my family, we had a, a Canada trip that was sidelined by the COVID crisis. We've got nothing on the books, but we are itching to get somewhere uh, beyond the four walls of our, our apartment. Well, thanks, Roger. Uh, I know you've had a very busy calendar with new issues and talking to clients. Uh, so really appreciate that you took the time to talk about the airline sector. Well, again, I'm, I'm always happy to talk about airplanes with anybody at any time. Well, thanks. And thank you to the readers. Really appreciate your time to join us for this conversation. As always, you can find our research on our website at creditsites.com. Or if you are not a subscriber, please contact us at sales at creditsites.com. Credit size disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or produced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information complained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. Received by the listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.